Hello, my name is Adam Taff-Lambert, and you are listening to the Good Market Live podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Good Market Live. If this is your first time tuning in from all of us here at Good Market, we're glad you made it. You belong here. This is another special episode for Good Market Live. For the first time ever, all three hosts, me, Harry, and Mary Beth, are all together to speak with one of our amazing founders. And this week's founder is Bob Dalton from Sackcloth and Ashes. Sackcloth and Ashes designs and produces gorgeous recycled cotton blankets, and for each one they sell, they donate another to a local homeless shelter. During our chat, Bob talks about the story that helped him shift his mindset on the homelessness crisis in America, the importance of perspective when it comes to creating change, and the power that comes from giving the gift of warmth. We're so happy to have you join us in this episode of Good Market Live as we showcase another amazing story from our community of creators dedicated to doing good. I am from a little town in Oregon, uh, right on the Oregon coast called Coos Bay. And um, Coos Bay is pretty much known for being a fisherman town. It's known for uh, being an old logging town. It's also known because it's the birthplace of Steve Prefontaine, who's one of oh. the uh, great Olympic runners and first like Nike athlete. Um, and that's about it. It's also known for its drug problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I grew up there, a small little town. It's kind of like, it's also known as like a bubble. Like people are really like, it's a miracle if you kind of get out of there. Um, but sophomore year in high school, I, um, my life changed. A guy came into my life, um, like a mentor figure and just invested in me. I grew up without a dad. So he came into my life, like had me over to his house for dinner. Uh, I got to eat with his family. I got to see how he loved the community and he was just a pillar in the community. And he was the first one that really showed me like who I wanted to ultimately become when I'm older. And, um, even recently, like I met somebody from a small town and, uh, you know, he was just like, yeah, man, like I'm really called to this like small little area and kind of was downplaying it. And I'm like, Hey, I want to let you know, like I've met some incredible people in my life. I've gotten to go to a lot of different cities and meet with different, you know, influencers and celebrities and everything. Nobody's made more of an impact on my life than Todd Tardy in Coos Bay, Oregon. And it's because he was intentionally, um, building a relationship with kids in that area. And, and, like still today, like I'm, you know, working toward, um, you know, just being the best version of myself that I can be because of his investment in me and and demonstrating that to me. And so that had a major impact in my life. And so at 19 years old, I was pretty much convinced, like, I'm going to dedicate my life to serving people and, and social impact work. I thought that at that time, the only thing that really been modeled to me, if I wanted to make a difference in the world was to like do ministry and so pretty much it gave me a couple options i was like okay i either need to learn how to give messages or i need to learn how to play guitar because that's kind of like the ministry options you know um but when i realized that you know that's not necessarily the case and there was other Mm -hmm. options i um moved to the middle of oregon the willamette valley and was a part of starting a ministry called young life in that area and so did Young Life work where we go into the high school, build relationships with kids similar to what Todd did with me and 
um, from 19 to 24 years old. I just did young life ministry. And then after five years of doing that, I decided that I wanted to transition out of the nonprofit world and try to become more self-sustaining for myself because I just was exhausted of asking people for money. And I just thought, you know, if I could figure out a way to be self-sufficient, I would put myself in a place where I could contribute more. And um, I thought for me, the only other options were like applying at different jobs and stuff like that. So while I was doing that, my mom went through a series of events and found herself living on the streets. And through her journey, it really changed my paradigm of how I view homelessness. And as I'm somebody who's like 24 years old, searching for my life's purpose, have no clue what I'm going to do in the world. My mom's on the streets. I was like, I'm, I was had enough young energy in me still to be like, I'm just going to do something. And so I started calling homeless shelters to ask what they needed. And they said, we need blankets. I was familiar with the one for one business model that Tom's had pioneered and came up with the idea for every blanket I sell, I'll donate a blanket to a homeless shelter. And because homeless shelters are all around the United States, I thought it'd be interesting to localize the one for one model. And for every blanket that I sell, I'll donate a blanket to your local homeless shelter. Mm-hmm. And so launched it, um, with a sewing machine and a roll of fabric from Joann's. Uh, tried to learn how to sew, realized that I'm horrible at sewing and um, found somebody who could sew. And we started. Sell- I started selling blankets out of the trunk of my car. I think, I, sorry to interrupt you, Bob. Yeah. I think at one time, I, I, I love the story. It's a great one. And, and I, think if, I think the first time you told me about it, you said something about you had gone to Joann's, you bought the sewing machine, you bought the fabric. And I wanna make sure I get this right. You like walked in the door and your wife was there and she's like, what are you doing, right? Yeah, packed the sewing machine and roll of fabric into my house. And my <laughs> wife was like, I think you've lost your mind. Um, and so, yeah, so, you know, like my, maybe, yeah, maybe. My, you know, my mom's on the streets. I'm, you know, applying for jobs. Nobody's getting back to me. My wife thinks I'm losing my mind and I'm starting a blanket company. And I'm trying to learn how to sew. And so, what's wrong with that? You know, yeah, I'm like, you know, pretty normal stuff. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I tried to learn how to sew, realized I couldn't, found a lady in my community who could. I started having her make blankets for me. I'd box them up, started driving up and down the Oregon coast and uh, walked into shops and was just like, hey, here's why you should buy these blankets over the blankets on your shelf. I got into about 20 shops out of 200. So it was enough to like kind of create a little perception of make it look like I knew what I was doing. And then launched a website, sackclothandashes.org because I couldn't afford the .com. It was $2,000. And um, so I launched sackclothandashes.org with 20 shops on it, decent photography, yeah. totally looked like I knew what I was doing. And then um, my business strategy was I'm gonna post on Instagram once a day. And I just picked that strategy because that's what everyone was doing. Everyone was looking at their phones. I'm like, we have hundreds of thousands of people now using this app. This is better advertising than Super Bowl commercials. Like. If I can get in front of, you know, these people on social media, uh, it's going to it's going to be incredible advertising. And, and so my whole thing was like from the very first post, if you scroll all the way back to very the very first post that I ever posted, it's very, very beautiful photography. And I knew that if I had <laughs> high quality content and I posted consistently that we would start to get attention. And the algorithms were just like, if anybody follows our brand, everyone would see that post, you know, that's how the algorithms were back then. 
And so I just started posting every day and we grew like about to 8,000 followers. And it was like a really big deal of like starting with nothing, you know, a local sewist is making blankets. And all of a sudden I have 8,000 people following the brand and I have orders starting to come through the website. And then five months into it, I got an email from Instagram and they were like, Bob, we love what you're doing. We, we love your story. We want to feature you on Instagram's Instagram account, which is like the, you know, the gauntlet. It's like winning the lottery because A, you can't pay millions of dollars for that type of advertising. B, you really don't have um, the opportunity to like, they don't post brands. Yeah. Like they don't sell products, you know, like to be featured on Instagram's Instagram as a product company is basically uh, winning the lottery. They had 42 million followers. I emailed them back, said, hey, how long do I have to prepare? They said, we're posting about you tomorrow. <laughs> it's, it was the day before Black Friday. <laughs> I remember where we were at. They post about us. And as I was refreshing my feed, it was just like 100 followers, 100 followers, 100 wow. followers, 100 followers, 100 followers. And it would just went on and on for like days. Like, wow. And so um, I had people all around the world reaching out and saying, <laughs> hey, we'd love to shoot your product, you know? Yeah. And uh, so I sent blankets to people around the world that were traveling and shooting some of the most beautiful places in the world and uh, started getting even better content and photography. And then all of the photographers started posting about us and we just started growing and following. From that point on, we pretty much couldn't keep product in stock for the first four <laughs> years. And um, that allowed me time to like find an actual manufacturer of fabric. And we found a great one in Florence, Italy. That's where we make all of our fabric now. We ship our fabric from Florence to Oregon where we produce the blankets. We cut, sew, label, poly bag, and ship. Um, and all of our fabrics made from 100% recycled material. So it's literally t-shirts and sweatshirts like being put into a grinder, grind cool. it up and turned into yarn. And that's what our blankets are made out of is actual recycled materials. So, How different is the fabric today than when you started? Because I know I, I heard about going to Joanne's. Did you just like get some fleece or something? Or what yeah, it was, was like, it then? No, it was, I, I wish I would have brought it. I, <clears throat> I made the first blanket myself and it's super like raggedy and like <laughs> strings hanging off of it. I mean, I was not good at sewing, but um, it was a black, it was black fleece blankets. Like oh, cool. I just bought bolts of black fleece and then I cut the fabric like and, then, up and made it. Yeah. yeah. Tammy like sewed a border around <laughs> it. And then, um, the logos were unique. That's what was kind of interesting and got a lot of people's attention. I would buy muslin, like bolts of muslin. And it's like, it almost looks like burlap or like, uh, yeah. you know, like, yeah. you know, sackcloth type of fabric. Yeah. And I, uh, would go to a screen printer, screen print our logo onto like hundreds of logos onto the muslin, cut the, logos out tammy would sew the labels on they were like this big you know like wow. literally like <laughs> yeah yeah like eight eight inch logos and um and then we would have to put fray check around the border and then hand fray wow. every single logo so if anybody out there that has the, the original original logos that are hand wow. frayed they're like the og blankets and they're out there and That's like cool. maybe like yeah, yeah there, there's like i think there's 800 of them that are out there floating around like um, I have a couple myself, but yeah, that was kind of the OG way of like starting it. And then um, when things really started taking off after the Instagram post, I got on a, a plane, one-way plane ticket to LA, flew down to the fashion district. Collectors and I told my wife, I'm like, I'm going to go find a 
fabric manufacturer and I didn't know what the fabric district was. It just sounds nice. Right? <laughs> Until you get there. Until you get there and it's like <laughs> a third world country, yeah. you know, and uh, you're digging through warehouses and they're smelly and there's people like, you know, you're either like either being bartered with or you're like trying not to get stabbed. Like it's, <laughs> it's like a pretty aggressive place. But um, so it, while I was in LA is when I came across this Italian broker who ended up uh, introduced me to the Italy manufacturer. <laughs> that's so great. that's how I ended up finding the, the manufacturer and the fabric. But yeah, now we're, um, the team's grown. We're doing about 14,000 blankets in production a month. Wow. Um, we have incredible partnerships formed with uh, the B2B world where we partner with corporations that buy blankets as gifts for their employees or their customers. So we partner with like mortgage companies, car dealerships, real estate companies, um, home builders, uh, KB Home just bought 10,000 blankets. So every home they build in the United States, they give a blanket as a gift. Um, and in turn, we're donating 10,000. Uh, partner with Churchill Mortgage, they bought 20,000 blankets. So every mortgage they do, they give a blanket. So we're in the B2B space. We're in the D2C um, where, you know, we still probably still at least over 50% of our sales are online. Um, so we have this great presence still on social Amazing. media and online. And then we're in the um, you know wholesale uh, world. We're partnered with REI now nationally. All the blankets will be sold in every REI and world market this fall. Um, in good market, yeah. And uh, and then uh, we're just now getting into like the licensing and collaboration game, where we just formed a partnership with Nat Geo, and we're creating a really awesome collection that will be released on November first. Um, so we're diversifying the way we're distributing our blankets and selling our blankets now. But for the first four to five years, it was 100% online. 90% of our sales were coming through Instagram blogs. And so when we made the jump to other <coughs> distribution strategies, we were like, how can we break away from being the Instagram brand and then also still keep relevance without coming across as salesy or addy or... Yeah. Um, putting other companies' logos on our product. That's none, none of that stuff that we do. And so we spend very, very, very little money on our marketing budget. Um, and we focus all of our attention on content creation and storytelling. And I, my dream is to be respected on like a Patagonia level as a product company. And you could take a microscope to our entire brand and see that we're making a difference from where we source our fabric to how we make our blankets. We hire refugees to sew on all the labels. Um, and uh, to our leather blanket rolls that we work with um, uh, refugees in other countries. And um, uh, to the donating of the blanket. You know, I really want our company to look at every single opportunity that we have and say, what can we be doing? How can we be contributors? Mm -hmm. And I believe that out of that, it, um, is a successful, uh, sustainable business model. And I believe that in the product <laughs> world right now, there's very few companies that have the opportunity that we have to be a company that's pillared as um, a company that can make incredible influence and, and uh, a difference in the world, a real religion. Mm -hmm. so I, I think the cool thing about it too is it's a blanket. Like who doesn't want a blanket? Mm -hmm. There's, there's a, a million needs. It's a beautiful blanket, yeah. right? I, there's a million reasons I hit for the that. jackpot with it because yeah. blankets, like, you know, the cool type of product company that I would 
started back in 2014 was like backpacks or like, you know, you think of products like shoes or whatever. There's really cool products I could have chose, but blankets are like this random thing that was born out of necessity. Mm -hmm. But I feel like I, it is absolutely crazy how massive the blanket industry is now. Mm -hmm. I think sackcloth has played a massive part in helping expand that like category. But like, there's not a lot of blanket companies out there. You know, you have um, a few, but you know, we're really the only ones that are, uh, you have blankets that are heritage, like the Pendleton mm-hmm. category. You have blankets that are um, really focused on the outdoors, like Rumpel. Um, and uh, and then you have like low grade blankets like uh, that you can get at Target or Walmart, yeah. stuff like that. You don't really have a blanket that's specifically created for the millennial market that's giving back on a local level yeah. and has the ability to be in both the home and outdoor space. Mm-hmm. Um, that is an incredible fabric that is actually soft and washable. You yeah, know? So and it's, it's, that's kind of the cool thing. Like, I know we're not totally going to talk about the fabrics today because we want to talk yeah, so much about your story. Nor am I but, an expert in that, yeah. But the kind of beautiful thing is that I remember early on when I was talking, and we'll, we'll laugh a little bit about the Cody story, the early, the early good market days, but I remember early on, like, it's a wool blanket. And so I'm like, hey, can you actually wash wool? Because yeah. wool is itchy and not comfortable and all this. And he sent me one and said, like, literally throw it in the washer and dryer. And I did. And it it just, it honestly gets better. Yeah. Right. And I love the idea, like you said, that it's like as good around your shoulders in an Adirondack chair by a fire pit as it is across your sofa at home in front of the fireplace. Right. Yeah. And it's it's a size too that like the whole thing ended up working out to where it's funny looking back because I'm like, A, I never thought I'd be in the blanket game. <laughs> um, and B, like, I feel very fortunate to have built a relationship with an amazing manufacturer yeah. of the fabric and they've been amazing to work with. And I think it's a long-term partnership and we're trying to diversify more our uh, manufacturing, but, um, but they've been an amazing partner. It's an amazing product that yeah, a lot of people, yeah. a lot of people say that and I forget, like, they're like, Hey, like, I want to let you know, like you have a really quality product yeah. and that's not something that I'd necessarily set out to do or create, you know? I think the, the beautiful part about it is though, like it's doing good. So like, that's an amazing thing, but it's also good. So it's like given, it's like good twice, right? It's good because you buy it for yourself and it's good and you love it. But you also, there's the other piece of it that's so much even more important. The fact that blankets is kind of one of the first things that you heard that shelters needed. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about your box because the box that the blanket comes in has a list of things that shelters need. And I, there, there's sort of a, this detail about blankets lined through that I think is pretty neat too. So maybe you could talk a little bit about yeah, the box. Yeah, for sure. And prior to that, um, like sackcloth and ashes, the name, it means mourning yeah. and repentance. And so the whole concept early on was anybody who wraps himself in a blanket, it symbolizes mourning over the homeless population and repentance by contributing to a shelter in your area. Fantastic. And for me, the, I named it that because that's the journey that I was on. I used to judge people on the street prior to my mom being homeless. And so sackcloth and ashes was like, that would be crazy if millions of people were wrapping themselves in a product that symbolized that they made a difference down the street from where they live, whether they know that or not. Like right. that was the kind of concept of it. Hey, Bob, um, with the packaging, it, yeah. Going along with what you just said, uh, hearing your story, I, th- I think one of the interesting through lines is your sackcloth and ashes going very hard on quality photography and making sure that the appearance and the perspective of it 
is very is a very clean aesthetic and it's very high quality photography. Do you think that your perspective shifting because of your mother's situation had any influence on that? Was that something that you you knew how important perspectives were now and thought this is this is a way that we can go to make a difference? As far as the content creation? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. at first, the reason why I started right out the gate in 2014 with Post One was because my buddy launched a local bar in Salem, Oregon, and he had unbelievable photography. Their bar kept getting delayed because of construction, and they started posting this like amazing photography that they invested a lot into. And they had over like they had a thousand plus followers of their local small bar prior to the opening of wow. it. I saw that and went, their whole city of Salem is talking about this bar opening because they're posting quality imagery. There's something to yeah. that. Like that's, and I look back and I literally can say that, that was the moment where I knew the power of content, the wow. power of showcasing mm -hmm. a story and what something unfolding and stuff like that. And seeing an entire community get behind it, everyone was counting the days down. Nobody wasn't talking about archive, cool. you know? Mm -hmm. And so I hired the same photographer and, <laughs> and that was my first photo shoot that I did. And so wow. fast forward, I've been, I've been fortunate to go around the United States and do what's called blanket drops where I get to mm -hmm. go and donate blankets in person at homeless shelters. When I started doing that, I started to see all of the incredible people and the work that's being done around the United States, stories that are mostly untold. Mm -hmm. And if you look at, mo you know, the overview of the entire nonprofit sector, it's horrible content. You know, most yeah. like it's a pretty universal agreement that we can all say, you know, the nonprofit sector has extremely poor storytelling ability and mm -hmm. quality content if you go to most of their websites. So I look at that as an opportunity. They're not, I'm not blaming them for that. They don't have the time to do stuff like that because they're trying to fulfill the mission that that's at hand. I look at that as an opportunity to come in and say, we have the ability to tell story through photo or through video of stories that have not been told and solutions that have been created to actually help the homeless problem. I'm very aware that sackcloth and ashes is not gonna solve the homeless problem. I'm not out to solve homelessness through the brand of sackcloth and ashes, that's not my goal. However, we can use our platform to support the organizations and the people mm -hmm. that are changing homelessness. And I think that that's our role as a, as a product company. Mm -hmm. I do think it's also the responsibility of all other product companies and, and com uh, corporations to use their platforms to highlight solutions in yeah. society. You know, and we can write the checks, but do we have the ability to use our platform to tell uh, narratives that need to be told other than our own? When you talk about yourself and you talk about how cool you are, you immediately become uncool to me. That's mm -hmm. not a good way to market yourself. Mm -hmm. But if I say how cool you are, then people are gonna think that, wow, this person might actually be cool. Yeah. It's the same with marketing. If you always talk about buy my product, you know, look at my product, you immediately become a typical ad brand that not really many people actually want to engage with your product. You sound annoying. But when somebody else talks about the work that's being done or the product that's being sold, that's not you. Now you are moving in the realm of, realm of relevancy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I learned that early on that like we're not a, my goal is not to advertise, but to advocate. And that's what we're using our platform for and all of the content that we're looking to create moving forward. Can I ask you a question on, on 
the heels of that. Um, really love the idea of how you're diversifying your distribution. And I think it's genius you locked onto the mortgage companies and anybody who buys a new home would love a new blanket, right? Um, but when you get into like the REIs or whatever, you know, the normal, not normal, but more the department store world, the wholesale model, are you, how are you ensuring that your story is told the way that you really want it to be told? And then secondly, how are you managing the local drops for these national things that you're doing now? Yeah, great questions. So with the distribution of wholesale specifically, we um, are not in any mom and pop shops. So actually, Good Market is the only exception. Mm -hmm. And if it early on to you joking about yeah. Cody yeah. not getting back to you, that, that, <laughs> or Cody. Well, that, yeah, that was true. because of me. Yeah. My team knows that, A, we don't sell the mom and pop shops because we risk the, the, the dilution of the brand. Dilution yeah. of the brand of, the of poor, of poor yeah. storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. B, we absolutely do not do consignment. Mm -hmm. We do not do consignment. And so Good Market was this like... <laughs> everything you didn't do. <laughs> yeah, every, everything we do not do as a company. Yeah. So this was a huge exception for us. With World Market, that was a marketing deal. Mm. That was a collaboration. I told World Market, I got introduced to the CEO of World Market in a text message for something completely separate to talk about social media strategy. Mm. That led to a national deal with Blanket the United States. And I said, I'm really... And I don't even know how much I pushed for it as much as he really caught the vision. They put our blankets in the front of every world market in the nation. Cool. That was a collaboration. Yeah. They didn't right. even buy our products up for 50% off. Mm -hmm. It was less than that because it was a collaboration. Mm -hmm. We were carrying our weight of the marketing and the branding and the story. They carried their weight of the distribution of that story and the product. It was an incredible partnership. It still That's is cool. a great partnership. Right. Um, REI, same thing. They said their blanket category is massive. Mm -hmm. Blankets are huge right now. Sackcloth and Ashes, they reached out in an email and said, hey, we're interested. The next, I think within a week, we got a deal done. Cool. You know, And I think that when you walk <clears throat> into most of the REIs in the nation this fall, Sackcloth will sub substantially stand out. Yeah. It is going to be one of the most promoted, beautiful displays. Yeah. In REI, that's great. And so those are collaborations. Mm -hmm. Those are that's not, um, you know. Hopefully, our product ends up in the, you know, mm -hmm. the front end of the shelf rather than the back end. Mm -hmm. You yep. know, that we don't. We are not a product that should just exist on a shelf. Right. That's yep. kind of our approach. And, to and it. it's great to hear that you're. The more you can sell, the more good you can do. Obviously, but yeah. you're being careful about how you're getting there. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think long, yeah, long term, mm -hmm. you know, I think we're at a steady growth where if we continue to make those good decisions, who are the right partners, who are the right collaborations, <clears throat> we will maintain relevancy, which is extremely hard to have right now as a product company. Yeah. Most product companies, they eventually get to a point where they either have to spend an extraordinary amount on ad money, which dilutes the brand, yep. or they have to start selling on Amazon or through Walmart, right? Mm -hmm. Neither of those I cannot do. Mm -hmm. to hold the integrity of our brand. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, we're ultimately competing with the Amazons of the world in the sense of they have entire blanket categories that we do not sell through. Mm -hmm. The only thing that sets us apart from somebody just going and buying a blanket on Amazon is the way in which we represent ourselves as a brand. What do we stand for? How yep. are we telling our story? And honestly, up to this point, it's been uh, not as good as I hope to get to. 
and my whole entire team agrees. We are very early stages of what sackcloth and ashes will be represented as. Um, and it's been a battle to get to that point because it takes not only the partnerships, but then telling the right narratives around those partnerships to where people go, this isn't just a blanket company. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think that's what's been so, first I'd start with saying, like we're thrilled and we're super proud to have you here. And it's obviously, it's been important for us since the first time I saw one of your blankets and started stalking Cody, we we joke yeah. about that all the time. But I'm glad you it, did because it, it was, worked out. I mean, yeah, it worked out. I'm stoked about it. And and honestly, it was more like it, it became more of a mission for me because I believed one in what you were doing. I believed in the cause and believed in what you were doing. And then two, like once I got to actually touch one of your blankets, it, it was like the quality reinforces. So there's a quality to your mission. But there's also a quality to your product mm -hmm. that it was like we're gonna i'm getting if i have to fly to portland we're gonna figure this out <laughs> and, and so I'm, I'm super proud to have you here but i think one of the big things for us is that we do like telling stories and i, I do believe that's part of what sets good market apart mm -hmm. purpose-driven brands are available in the world we, we're bringing them together in a space but with that caveat that we want to tell the stories of each one of them and like hearing your story just it, it just reinforces why we do what we do and clearly why you do what you do is like there's there's a you know, there's sort of the fun stories that we have about getting connected, but there's so many things that have happened as a result of us getting connected the first time that's like it's genius, and now yeah. it's actually fun to look back on it. But I love it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I think uh, you guys do an exceptional job at telling the story in the realm of store. And as I've told you, I think that the evolution of where good market can ultimately go is moving into the realm of content. And like this is a great yeah. start. The yeah. the podcast is an amazing opportunity to tell those stories in a little bit more in depth. And I think just through, you know, there's just so many different stories to be able to tell and it's low hanging fruit and not a lot of other retail, yeah. you know, wholesalers are doing it uh, on the level that they should be. I mean, I'm, you know, some that I'm rooting for are not doing mm -hmm. it on the level that I think they should be. So, um, yeah, super honored to be in the shop to come back to your box question. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the blankets, <laughs> right. the oh, blankets. Yeah, that was good. Circle yeah, back. Yeah. <laughs> um, you host uh, a podcast too? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not, no plug, no plug. Um, you do a good job, um, like pull it right back. So the the boxes, the blankets all come in a box. My team was like, look, we used to send our, we just usually stuff our blankets into like USPS boxes. That's what we used to do, um, which was fine. Sh shipping was, you know, more affordable that way. But, um, but as we actually launched a campaign to blanket the United States, our goal is to donate a million blankets to shelters by 2024. With a campaign came a lot of different questions, which is how should we represent our product in the midst of this campaign? How can we tell the campaign story? And we said, well, I think this is a great opportunity to do it through our packaging. And so on our boxes, it says blank the United States. When you open up the box, it has a map of the US that shows you all the little dots of where the homeless shelters are around the states. But when you pull your blanket out of the box, it says, take it a step further, place the following items in this box and donate to your local shelter lip balm, water bottle, socks, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's giving people an opportunity to do something beyond what they've already done. Because technically a second blanket, yeah, it will eventually get sent to your local homeless shelter, right? You were able, you helped make that happen. However, um, you have an opportunity, to, you, to do something. And I think that like, you, you can, you know, note that a second blanket is going there, but not still figure out where you are at with, homelessness. Mm -hmm. I thought this was an amazing way for people to engage with the problem of homelessness in a way where they have something to do mm -hmm. and no one's going to know. 
yeah. they can either fill the box up and donate it and no one's going to know or they could choose not to do it and no one's going to know yeah. and people have the opportunity to wrestle with that and i think that's a good wrestling that we should have um at minimum a great opportunity for people to engage and at very minimum a way better use than just having a normal box where people just immediately you know throw it rip it yeah. apart and, and i remember early shortly after we opened so early on in, in the life of good market there was a lady that came in and, and bought a couple of your blankets and, and she was flying out and she took them in the boxes she wanted the boxes and she sent me an email the next day and she said when she got them home she you know shared the story with her kids and i know kids is, are obviously very important to you too but her daughter said she was going to take the lead her daughter i think was six or seven years old she was going to take the lead for the family on getting the boxes filled and getting them donated and yeah. i love that like somebody that young can yeah. actually be impacted far beyond Absolutely. just the blanket. And yeah. I don't mean to minimize the blanket, but oh, like no, the blanket is like literally opening the door to so much more for this young lady yeah. that, you know, we'll think about it probably for the rest of her life. And ultimately the blanket would mean more, you know, because you've created an emotional connection mm -hmm. to like you've created an experience. And a yeah. lot of, I do hear a lot of families say, we came together and we did this, you know, and, you know, or I hear, I have people texting me like, hey, my box is filled up and it's in my trunk. That's cool. You know, and yeah. so it, I forget about it. I forget that that even is a part of the packaging to where people are still out there filling them up and taking them to shelters. Yeah. And it's such a, it's amazing because it's not something that, you know, it's such a personal outward thing that's almost completely apart from our brand that is just this cool little addition. Um, yeah. Bob, I think the other really genius thing about that approach is it solves two of the biggest problems with trying to solve um, issues in society, which is one, people don't know where to get started. You know, like people are, are seem overwhelmed with all of the issues that they can help with. And then the other one is, what did they do? And this is very much you're putting it into their space, into their world, saying, here's the thing that you can do, fill up this box and go take it here. And it's taking all of those uncertainties or hesitations away and making it very easy for someone to make a difference on multiple levels. Yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up because um, I believe that over the last five years, as I've been able to get a little bit of a gauge of what's going on from specifically the homeless problem, the only way that we're going to solve massive societal issues is it's gonna have to be done on a local level and it's going to have to be done with highlighting solutions, what's working, mm -hmm. and creating conversation around what is actually effectively being done to solve these problems. But it has to be done on a local level. We've <clears throat> got to stop blaming the government. Mm -hmm. We've got to stop blaming the churches. We've got to take responsibility for our own communities. And so a big part of my work, both through my brand and eventually my foundation, is um, going to be in creating what I'm calling democratizing giving. And we have to democratize giving. We have to give everyone an opportunity to actually be a contributor. Um, and if we don't, that's what's creating the competition in the nonprofit sector mm -hmm. is when you only have a couple key players that are giving money and being contributors to a community, there isn't enough to go around. And so it creates a level of competition amongst mm -hmm. nonprofits. Well, to move away from that, you have to democratize giving and you have to give everyone an opportunity to do something 
and sackcloth is playing a very very small part in that but the foundation mm -hmm. that i'm launching will ultimately address that on a way bigger level hey i got a couple questions for you about kids too because i know that kids are important mm -hmm. to you and there's a lot that you've talked about with the foster care system um certainly your child size blanket the book that you've written um i'm curious though like you you talked about the fact that you grew up without a dad what were you like as a kid? Yeah, I mean, I uh, one memory that I've been sharing as of late, just because it's becoming full circle, is I my when my mom left my dad, I was one. I, we moved in with my grandma, and my uncle lived with us as well. And uh, I had Lincoln Logs, you know. And so uh, my uncle would come home from a, from work, and he'd come home, and I'd build like these crazy structures. <laughs> And he, he, he said it many times, enough for me to remember as like a young child. And he's like, hey, like he'd call my mom in the room or my grandma and he's like, did you see what Bobby just built? Like, he's going to be an architect. <laughs> and he was the first one to speak that over me. And so that's what I was uh, like, you know, and um, fast forward as I'm kind of um, constructing what my foundation's going to be and the work that we'll be doing, um, I've been really fascinated with social design and um, I've been doing just a really deep dive on what social design is and how we can use design to, you know, reconstruct some models to making a societal difference. And one of my mentors said, hey, you know what you are? You're a social architect. That's cool. And so wow. it's really wow. cool that it's I just got to. <laughs> full circle that, you know, I thought I was going to be an architect until about sophomore year in school when I started taking algebra two. <laughs> that was the and end of that dream. And then I realized that I'm not going to be an architect in the traditional way. Math has and been so, ruining dreams for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so fast forward, you know, I think that I think I there's this the architect that's still in me, and it's just for it's not necessarily architecting um, structures necessarily, but it's uh, architecting new ways of viewing our communities. So, what does sackcloth and ashes look like 20 years from now? It's a great question and something I wrestle with often mm -hmm. because I think that with sackcloth, the biggest thing that I wrestle with is I'm not a business guy. Um, I never set out to be an entrepreneur or own a company, nor mm -hmm. did I think it would ever work out. You know, mm -hmm. the fact that I own a product company and it like <laughs> seven years in and I'm like still dealing with Still making blankets. Building it, yeah. <laughs> the whole thing is a comedy bit to me. I think that is really, really funny. And so I think um, what's strange about it is it is, as much as it's been a big part of my life, it's not my ultimate like passion of what I want to do and see in the world. Okay. Sackcloth and Ashes, like I said, it's not going to solve homelessness. Mm -hmm. And I am more of an activist and an advocate than I am a, a business guy. Mm -hmm. So I wrestle with that. I wrestle with where things will be at 20 years from now. As long as I feel like I'm at the helm of it and running it, I think, you know, 20 years from now, I think we, I was driving by the Vera Bradley shipping facility and the design yeah. space and thought Sackcloth would easily be here yeah. 20 years from now. I mean, maybe, maybe shorter time. Yeah. We're on the trajectory. Yeah. We're on that trajectory. I just think, you know, I'm open, you know, I'm open to what the future holds for me as believing it, I'm gonna lead it as long as I feel like God wants me to be in charge. Moving forward, I also wanna make sure that I'm building what I am ultimately feel called to be a part of, which is 
solving societal problems on a much larger scale than providing blankets to homeless shelters. That's a very positive thing. It's doing really good work. It's helping change bias, but it's not ultimately changing the problem of homelessness. I think what's really kind of inspiring to me is you're young and you're doing this stuff. And it, it gives me hope for the future of the world that um, your generation feels so passionately. Because you're not alone in that. You, you certainly are, are doing a great job with it, but there are other people from your generation that are doing amazing things like you are that should give us all hope that you know, there, there's good stuff out there. And it, it, it sort of shifts the whole way that you look at everything from where the, the world was so commercially focused and brand name focused and all that stuff. And, and, and you haven't lost the beauty and the quality in the product that you're selling, but you're doing it for a different reason which is it's sort of inspiring to me as a dad of, you know, soon to be teenagers, that the world that they're going to live in, forget everything that's going on that's bad in the world right now. Everybody does want to do good, which is why, you know, I, you know, one of the reasons we started Good Market. I think it's great to hear somebody at, at your age that's already accomplished so much. There's a lot ahead of you, but you're already laying such a great foundation for the generation behind you. And, you know, that I've heard so many times, I've heard somebody say one time, like, that my generation or the generation after me will be the first generation that will actually be less wealthy than their parents. And while financially that may be true, emotionally, spiritually, physically, that is probably the farthest from the truth that they could be. Because I do think that whatever happened between, you know, your generation, my generation, it's it's pretty dynamic and, and and you actually are making a difference and impacting and, and and it's like almost like people are like yeah you you thought so but this is what we're really about and this is what we're really doing and it's it's super inspiring for me to hear that um and and so thank you for the future the yeah. future generations behind me my children my grandchildren so forth i mean you know, thank you for what you're doing i think it's outstanding mm -hmm. i appreciate it yeah I, i'm fortunate to be in a place where i can be a contributor I think that to give you a little insight of where I think the future is going to go with the younger generation, I think that young people are going to be locally focused. I think the future of giving is local. And I also think that we're having a, um, we're going to have a massive amount of young people that will be focused on social design. Um, social design being um, kind of the, one of the father fathers of uh, the pioneers of social design. His name was Ken Garland. He actually recently passed away. Um, but in the 60s, he came out with a manifesto called First Things First. And the manifesto was calling all designers out there. Do not use your design skills. And this is in the time of advertising. You know, advertising was taken off in the 60s. And, you know, it's kind of that Mad Men era. You know, it's like, um, you know, calling all designers. Do not use your design skills to market meaningless products. Use your design skills to design around what can make it social impact and i think that we are going to experience a wave of young people very incredibly smart and like i'm like i get chills by the interactions that i have with young people they're quiet mm -hmm. but they're smart mm -hmm. yeah. and I, I'm, I'm fortunate to have one foot in being able to engage with people in the corporate world get it get to engage with people that um you know would be considered in the professional sector but still have one foot in engaging with the youth. Yeah. And I think that I'm very hopeful. I'm very hopeful. Yeah. As much as the world seems like it's going to hell, I think that um, I hope to be one of the voices to say over and over again, 
I think we're, I think that that's wrong. I think yeah, that's wrong. I, I think everything that you're, you're talking about is just making me think a little bit differently too. This whole experience for me has made me think completely differently and certainly not your generation, one ahead of you, right? Mm -hmm. But have one behind you, shortly behind, two shortly behind you. And it's made me think differently. So it's not only inspiring you and down, it's, it's inspiring yeah. up. Yeah. And we have a lot to give. And like mm -hmm. that was, yeah. we talk about this a lot. That's the reality of, as we started this thing, it's like, wow, we have so much experience and knowledge to help you help others. Yeah. That that's kind of what, and Adam's nodding too, that's kind of yeah. what we're engaging in and like re-inspiring me for what I do every day. Yeah. Versus just worrying about taking care of my family. It's like now taking, paying it forward. Yeah. Really in a lot of my a conversations lot. with people that are in the corporate sector, that's why I'm constantly coming and saying, you guys have the most largest platforms. Mm -hmm. You have the most resources. Like we absolutely need people in the corporate sector and generations that are older than myself to play a massive role in this. Mm -hmm. You have the opportunity to platform what is coming up next in the, some of the best solutions, some of the most innovative ideas you can platform those ideas. You don't have to create them, but you can platform them. And I think that's the that's going to be the ultimate win. Welcome to good market. Yeah, welcome to good market. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I, I think it's funny. Um, one of our mutual friends who also is in good market, Ben Higgins, he talks a lot about that, you know, his goal is never to be necessarily the biggest coffee company, right? He's doing good with every bit of the coffee that they sell. But it's more like if he can make an impact on the big coffee guys and they can start thinking differently. And I think for us, Sort of the same thing with regards to where we've come from and, and we've experienced the crazy times of corporate retail but if what we're doing here can actually start to make retailers think differently about what they're doing to help people like you really make a difference in the world then we're doing our part in a very small way and that's that's like that's the most that wobbly mm -hmm. we can do but if we can use what we know to help you do great stuff yeah, yeah i can sleep better at night knowing mm -hmm. You know, that at least I, I feel like we're contributing a to make you know make the make the road clear for you to go do the great stuff that you're going to do so yeah absolutely i mean all the, every brand in the store isn't going to be able to make the impact that they could if you didn't help platform and distribute it that's just the reality of it you can have an incredible story and not make an impact you know yeah, that's true but we can't do it without you and i think that's what's like we we just want to help more and do more you know to, to allow you to go be on the platform and, and do big stuff. Um, super fun conversation. So Bef good. Before yeah. we go, there's there's a way that we wrap up everything, every podcast okay. that we do. Um, it, it's I, I hate to say that it's one of my favorite parts, but it is because <laughs> my tea. Because no it's a, yeah, gra grab a sip of your no tea. Pressure. <laughs> um, there, there's five questions that we call the goodbye questions. Um, and Adam will kick them off with a couple, and then Mary Beth will do a couple, and then I'll I'll wrap it up with the last one. Uh, we'll save the best for last. <laughs> so the first question, um, it's a pretty standard Algebra 2 question. Um, <laughs> you should be able to answer it. Totally fine. You're such a, you're <laughs> such a good copywriter. <laughs> um, we call them the goodbye questions because um, we like to just hear how everyone answers them because everyone always has a really great answer to them. But so the first one is, what does doing good mean to you? I think uh, caring for the people that are closest to you. Like just on a local level, like 
the good doesn't necessarily happen out there. It happens right here. Cool. That's it. That's great. It's got to be close. Cool. Absolutely. Adam's dramatic. But he's great. Really good at the dramatic <laughs> he's like, I'm like, did I answer that? Right? I, answer that right? <laughs> <laughs> I said it every time I talk to him. I'm like, is that good? <laughs> Answered it perfectly. The second one is what one word describes what you all are doing at sack cloth and ashes advocating yeah yeah i love how you said wasn't advocating even a over advertising yeah. wasn't yeah. even a pause yeah. cool okay if you could say one good thing to someone who would it be one good thing to someone i mean i i, I have said it and I think it freaked him out because he's kind of one of my idols, but David Bornstein, who uh, he's the founder and CEO at Solutions Journalism Network in Manhattan. Uh, he's like one of my idols. If you said, who could you have coffee with, with anyone in the world, I'd say David Bornstein. And um, first time I ever got to talk with him because he took a call with me and I was overly excited. And <laughs> I don't know if I'll ever have that opportunity again, but he's, he's doing incredible work with That's Solutions cool. Journalism Network. He's john the baptist crying out in a world of negative fear-based issue content cool yeah. okay what is a good quote you think about a lot hmm. man <laughs> i love that you don't prep me for that. <laughs> good quote as of recent um I think you have a few on your arms there that you could probably refer yeah, I to. I would, say, uh, I would say, can I read it? Yeah, can yeah. I read it? Totally yeah. Read it. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. yeah, so. Do you know? Do you know? I got mine. Um, let, me, let me pull it up here. So I've been studying trees. Oh, cool. And okay. this is a, a quote that I have like on as my background. And it's, is from a book. This is like a longer quote. That's okay. worth it. Yeah. In talking about trees, the reasons are the same for human communities. There are advantages of working together. A tree is not a forest. On its own, a tree cannot establish a consistent local climate. It is at the mercy of wind and weather. But together, many trees create an ecosystem that moderates extremes of heat and cold, stores a great deal of water, and generates a great deal of humidity. And in this protected environment, trees can live to be very old. To get to this point, the community must remain intact no matter what. If every tree were looking out for only itself, then quite a few of them would never reach old age. Regular fatalities would result in many large gaps in the tree canopy, which would make it easier for storms to get inside the forest and uproot most of the trees. The heat of summer would reach the forest floor and dry it out. Every tree would suffer. Every tree, therefore, is valuable to the community and worth keeping around for as long as possible. It's amazing. Wow. That's really, you got to send me that. That's great. Yeah. I love it. Trees. Yeah, wow. it's a great book. Um, it's cool. It's, uh, uh, let's see. Yeah. Hold on. 
I got to, I got to, now I have to quote the author at least. <laughs> <laughs> uh, totally it, good idea. The, the Hidden Life of Trees. Wow. Bye. Peter. Wall and Bend. Okay. Yeah, cool. <laughs> that was awesome. The Hidden Life of Trees. Highly recommend it. Also, The Colony of Ants. Oh, jeez. Wow. Yeah. Cool stuff. Those are my two latest reads. I'm Good. obsessed. Good stuff. Uh, so I'm going to wrap it up. Uh, we talk a lot about storytelling. You've told us some great stories today, and and we get to we, we're fortunate that we get to hear really amazing stories everywhere we go. Um, and you're already leaving an incredible legacy, uh, but with that and with what's ahead for you, which is going to be pretty exciting stuff, your story needs to be told at some point. So if you got to pick who could tell your personal story, who would you pick, and why would you pick them? I would probably just say Jordan. So Jordan Verdine. So why Jordan? Um, I would just say I think it's re relevant for, I mean, Jordan and I get to travel a lot together. I'm a huge fan of his work. He runs an organization called Humanity Showers. And I'm not just saying it because he's actually here with me, but I, I really think that he would do justice at the storytelling of what the work that I'm actually trying to accomplish. Yeah. I think he gets it inside like look at what I'm actually trying to do. Um, I'd either say him because he understands me from an activist standpoint, from a community development, and then I would either, or I would say Jordan Tardy, who is basically co-founded Sackcloth and Ashes with me, who's known me since I was a sophomore in high school. His dad is Todd Tardy, who made an impact on me. Mm -hmm. And so, so, or or Jordan, mm -hmm. who understands who I am from the high school me to all the way through our business experience together and so yeah that's cool and uh it's it's cool that you mentioned jordan because i he i heard a quote from him today and i'm not going to get it exactly right but talking about um design and i think it was winston churchill quote that he said um you design the space and then the space designs you um oh this guy's is, full of quotes i mean man. which is pretty amazing Here, here's the latest one stuff, i but... wish i would have thought of this earlier when you asked me but marry the mission not the model. Yeah, uh, I like that one. Yeah, I heard that one. That's a good one. Yeah. That's a good mm -hmm. one. So shout out to Jordan. <laughs> uh, because now he's given me my new favorite. I wish he had a product yeah. company so he could well, be in here you so you could know. interview him. You never know. Humanity towels. Yeah. Humanity towels. <laughs> <laughs> we got the fabrics. You know how to sew now. So you can yeah, like, up some yeah. Call Tammy. Get her to sew some yeah, towels. Yeah. Tammy um, full circle. Yeah. Bobby, Bob, it's always good to talk to you, especially. I think we, we love having you here. Um, thanks for visiting us again in Fort Wayne. Thanks for talking with the, the team at the corporate office today, too. Um, thank you for all you're doing for us. We're, we're looking forward to much good, much good ahead, um, many good times ahead as well. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, likewise. It means a lot. Likewise. We appreciate it. Adam, always good to talk to you, too. And, and Mary Beth, nice first round with us together. Yeah, baby. There we go.